0: Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, we'll read this long sentence that Paul's given us here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ that in the dispensation of the fullness of time he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also that ye believed ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'll be with us this evening or this morning here as we gather here together to feed from your word. Lord, much prayer requests were lifted up this morning, even as we look around the building and see those who are absent this morning. We know of medical conditions and family woes and health issues that have plagued different families. Lord, we pray that you um, will hear our prayers and comfort them during this time, Lord, strengthen them during this time. For those who are unable to be here and are watching online, we pray that you'll bless them this morning, Lord, that each and every one of us will be able to leave here this morning to say we have been fed from your word. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. Be with those who are teaching next door and those who are downstairs, Lord. Lord, we pray that if there's someone in the building today who is lost, that you will do your work. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to focus this morning and even this evening in just one verse, verse number four according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. We found ourselves, I guess you could say, in deep waters this morning. Uh, This is a subject that once it is debated, it seems that those who have found themselves caught up in the debate forget exactly what the end of uh, verse 4 says that we should be holy without blame before him in love, meaning that the people who get caught up in this debate find themselves arguing meaninglessly, senselessly over this great doctrine to the point where they almost ruin their testimony. Salvation is by faith alone through grace alone. I want to, I want to say that because I want us all to understand this doctrine And I want us all to believe this doctrine, but I want us all to understand that not understanding this doctrine or not believing this doctrine does not hinder you from salvation. Salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. There have been men, good men on both sides of this argument. Even me in my own Christian life, I have been on both sides of this doctrine. This doctrine that is being dealt with here, this, some will call it the doctrine of predestination, some will call it the doctrine of election. Uh, as we can see in our text this morning, this is not a man-made term. This is a biblical word. It is a biblical thought process that is being conveyed here through the Holy Spirit by the use of Paul. This predestination, this election helps us to understand exactly how we have received so great of salvation. Now, before we step back and say, well, you know, this predestination, this election, uh, this is just something that Baptists struggle with. Do you know if you was to take a wide span, it doesn't matter whether you go to Lutheranism or whether you go to Catholicism, whether you go to Wesleyan or or Finney or whether you arrive at the Baptist church. Do you know that in each and every one of those faiths, they deal with this great doctrine? Even in our own bylaws and constitutions, when we look at our bylaws and constitutions, we quote, The 1644 Baptist Confession, which in section C deals with this great doctrine of election. Understand that this argument that we see here is not an argument whether predestination exists in the word of God. No, it's not the problem. The argument is not whether election exists in the word of God. No, it clearly exists everyone acknowledges that it does exist. The argument is the interpretation of this great doctrine. For the sake of this text, I'm not going to get caught up in what terminology that people use today as far as getting into the arguments of this because they are just unbiblical terms. Meaning, I'm not, you know, whether you find yourself in a debate, and if you're friends with Daniel de Pearson, you'll find yourself in a debate a lot over this matter. But, you know, some will say, oh, he's a Calvinist. Oh, he's an Arminian. Or he's a Pelagianist. Or he's a semi-Pelagianist. Or he's an Augustinian. Or he's Lutheran. And really, the story goes on and on and on. They are not my heroes. Therefore, I do not align with Calvin. I just align with the word of God. We have missionaries today. I spoke with a pastor just uh, would probably say about 2 weeks ago. A pastor called me about one of our missionaries. And listen, it was Brother Daniel Pearson and we had a wonderful conversation. The conversation went on for 15 or 20 minutes. And as it went on and went on and went on, it was coming to a close. They're going to get behind Brother Pearson. They're going to support Brother Pearson. And right at the close of it, he said, by the way, you're not one of those Calvinists, are you? I said, well, I don't align myself with Calvin, but I do believe in the doctrine of election. I believe in the doctrine of predestination. He said, you know, that is the problem with you Calvinists. You don't like to be called Calvin. You don't like to be called Calvinist. You don't even like the name. So just for fun, I kicked the ball back on his court. I said, so I take it that you're Arminian. I don't follow after Joseph Arminian. <laughs> Though some of his teachings are true. I laughed at that. I said, listen, brother, at the end of the day, my hero is Jesus. And that's who our hero is. Understanding this doctrine, we pray that God will give us this understanding. When you read this in Timothy, what does Paul say? Great is the mystery of godliness. This is the great mystery of how God works. But it doesn't change the fact that this is exactly how God works. As I said, predestination is a biblical term. You see it here in, in verse 5 having predestinated. Predestinated. We understand pre means to exist before, destination is a place that is going to be reached. Right. When we all got in our cars this morning, we had a destination and the destination was church. And that is how we arrived here. When you arrive at an airport, the first thing they say to you when you walk through the airport is what is your destination? It is what is this determined place in which you are headed? But when we talk about the doctrine of election, when we talk about the doctrine of predestination, it is deals with this ultimate destination it deals with the ultimate end in which we will live there are only two places that can be uh given in this final destination we know one is to be heaven to spend all eternity with god and we know the other to be hell a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth so these are the destinations that is offered here but he says Having predestinated. That means having chosen, period. Having predestinated. This implies that God is involved with the ultimate outcome in our lives in which place we will arrive for all eternity. Predestinated. Now, I said earlier, and I believe and now I said earlier, all I believe, both sides, both sides believe that predestination has to do with God's choice. This is what we must understand. Well, people say, well, you know, they don't believe like we do. We we believe in predestination, and they don't believe in predestination. That's not true. Both sides believe in predestination. Matter of fact, if you would study the early writers, uh, whether it would be Pelagius or Wesley or Finney or any of those or Augustine or John Gill or Jonathan Edwards or George whitfield people we follow after, they would all say predestination is a true doctrine. And yet we just listed men who are bo- on both sides of the fence. All say that God chose in salvation. This is not the argument either. We say, well, you know, we believe that God chose us. They believe that God chose you too. That's not the argument. The divide comes to the ones who would say that God chooses, as Peter would read, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Meaning that one side of the fence says that God chose you, but it was because God looked down the corridors of time that God looked down through the portals of time and seen that you was going to choose him. Therefore, God is smart enough to see that you was going to choose him. Therefore, he chose you. Now, the other side of this, and where I align, is that I believe that God chose me because he chose me. He chose me not because of any merit that I was going to do, Not because of anything that I brought to the table, not because that he seen in me that I was going to be someone famous in the land and I would just be a great asset to the cause. No, it says God chose us according as he hath chosen us. Now, why did God choose us? Now, there's all kinds of arguments to this, but it's really summarized really well at the end of verse 5. According to the good pleasure of his will. It was according to his good pleasure. What does that mean? Ask him when you get there. It was the good pleasure of his will to look down and choose me. It wasn't based on what I was going to do for him. It was based on his own free will. So, with no merit from us, he chose us. With no merit from us, he predestinated us. And this is why we need to uncover why we actually believe this. Why do we actually believe that that he just chose us and there was no merit based upon us? We cannot forget that this is a doxology. love this. This is a 200 plus word of a praise letter to God about God's great salvation. Paul doesn't approach this text in opening up for a debate. What is your opinion? He doesn't do that. He just states it as plain as day according as he hath chosen us. Well, this is a simple statement. I guess that if you was to really take time and you could break up verse number four, you could break it up just like this. First, we see that according as he hath chosen. We see the person in the choosing. He, who, God, God chose. We see what did God choose? According as he hath chosen us. This is the people in the choosing. God, in his decision, (laughs) chose a people. Where did he choose these people to be? There's a placement here. According as he hath chosen us. Where? Where's the placement? In him. It is in Christ. This is the placement that we have. When? When is the period of time that this all took place? The period of time in which all of this took place was before the foundation of the world. The choosing that took place was before the foundation of the world. Now, we ask ourselves, what is this great purpose that God would choose us before the foundations of the world? The the purpose of this says in the last part of verse 4 that we should be holy and without blame for him, in love. This is God's sovereign work right before our eyes. So, Why do we believe what we see here? Why do we take a stand that God chose us on a fact of his free will instead of our own merit? First, we must observe that he hath chosen the person in the choosing. Now, I would like to point to the fact that God has not changed his function. God has not changed his operation from the Old Testament to the New Testament. God is still God. And as long as we can read the Old Testament with the same thought process, we will just as well enjoy the New Testament. But don't change the thought process when we leave the Old Testament to the New Testament just simply because it applies to you, right? We cannot do this. God has interacted in the Old Testament with men of his sovereign choice. I listened to a preacher who invests a great deal into young preachers, and he laid out a thought process in mind. And that's this. When we read the Old Testament in Genesis, and we go to Genesis, and we arrive at Noah, what do we find there? Do we find Noah going to God and saying, God, use me to be a preacher for these years. God, use me to build an ark uh, to save the people and bring down destruction upon all of humanity. No, we do not. What do we find? We find God choosing Noah, right? When we think about Abraham. Abraham there in the Ur of Chaldees. Do we find that there in the Ur of Chaldees that Abraham cried out to God and said, God, choose me. No, that's not what the Bible reads. The Bible reads that God chose Abraham and called Abraham to come out of the Ur of Chaldees. Did Jacob choose God? Do we find that Jacob in the Old Testament, did he really choose God What do we find in the Old Testament? We find that God came to Rebekah and what he said. He said, there is two nations in your womb and the the older shall serve the younger. Wait a minute here. We accept that. We accept the fact that God would choose Jacob to have his older brother serve him while they were yet in their womb. We accept this to be an okay train of thought. When Moses arrived at the burning bush, did Moses call out to God and say, make this bush burn and speak to me? No, God chose Moses. When David became king, where did we find him? We found him being the keeper of his father's flock the day that he was keeping his father's flock, you know what David knew that God was doing? Nothing. But yet what do we find here? That God sent Samuel to Jesse's house to anoint David to be the next king of Israel. Did David choose God or did God choose David? Jeremiah. Jeremiah, God told Jeremiah, I knew, you was, I knew you before you was in your mother's womb, and I, cho- I chose you and appointed you to be a prophet unto all the nations. So we reason again. God knew him before he was in his mother's womb. Jeremiah didn't have much going on in his mind to even have the intellectual ability to choose God. God chose him. He appointed him for this call did the apostle Paul choose God or did God choose the apostle Paul did God choose the apostles or did the uh, uh, apostles choose God matter of fact John God answered Jesus answered that in John chapter 15 and verse 16 Ye have cho- you have not chosen me but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit that your fruit should not remain or should remain that whatsoever ye shall ask of my father in my name, he may give it to you. If we are faithful to the reading of the word of God, we will find ourselves in a place where we are constantly confronted in the word of God, where God chooses whether we like it or whether we don't like it. But We do not like it when we arrive here to this text in Ephesians chapter one and verse four, somehow we have reasoned in our mind that God has sovereignly chosen throughout all time, throughout all history, all the way it get to, you get to Ephesians chapter one and verse four, and we read the text that God chose you. We don't like that because we like to think that even in this great salvation that we have had the choice that we made the right decision, that we turned to God, that we were the ones who seen things were going the wrong way, that we were the ones who made the decision that we must lift ourselves up out of the miry clay. Uh, This was our decision. I, as I said, was once dragged into a debate even over this very text, even when we dealt with Jeremiah the man who I was debating back and forth with, yes, because of Daniel Pearson, said that, yes, he acknowledged that God knew Jeremiah before he was even in his mother's womb. He acknowledged that God called him to be in great service for him and that God had called him to be a prophet to the nation. But that does not mean, he said, that God chose him in salvation. Well, I pondered that thought and then told him that I would be praying that he was truly saved. When he thought for a second that I was calling him lost, I said, no, I'm just continuing on with your theory. That God can give you a burden to preach the word, that God can call you to be a a, a preacher to to the nations, and yet God will put this great burden upon your heart to see souls saved, and you still be lost. You see, that's the senselessness of the argument. That God would call a lost man in the ministry, (laughs) that God would put Jeremiah in place without choosing his salvation. This is where this continues to kind of spiral down, what I would say, out of control. We are brought to salvation because of God's sovereign choice. According as he hath chosen us. As Paul here pours out praise to God the Father for this plan of salvation, it should be no surprise to us that we look in this first sentence of verse four, and he begins with the source of our salvation, the plan of our salvation, and that is God. And Martin Lloyd-Jones said of the book of the word of God, that the word of God is the revelation in the record and the explanation of what? Of how God brought salvation to man. So in verse four, we do not see here in verse four, according as he, or according as we, but we see here according as he, as he who God hath chosen. Let's not argue the basis in which he chose us for a moment. Let's kind of just set that aside and just recognize that both sides recognize that God has chose us. This was His decision. God made the decision. It doesn't matter what side of the fence you are on when it comes to this doctrine, set aside what you believe and acknowledge this first great truth. God chose you, period. If God had not chose you, you would have remained lost and on your way to hell. I am of the belief that it is biblically sound that there are people worshiping in heaven today. Because God chose them. I am also of the belief today that had God not chosen some, there would be absolutely none in heaven today worshiping him. Heaven would have none without God's choice, according as he hath chosen. Had God never made the choice, had God never made this plan. Had God never acted upon him, no one would ever arrive in heaven. John and his writings here, we go to John chapter 17 and we can see this time after time again in the great high pri- priestly prayer. In John chapter 17 and verse two, as thou hast given him power over all flesh that he Christ should give eternal life to as many as thou God hast given him John chapter 17 and verse 6 I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou givest me out of the world thine they were and thou gavest them me and they have kept thy word now Read that again. When I read that, I was about jumping out of my chair. How do you not see this? Maybe that's insensitive. I'm sorry. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Okay. I have manifested, Jesus speaking, I have manifested thy name unto them which thou, who, God, gavest me out of the world. Jesus saying, saying, I've manifested your name. To the people you gave me, God, the Father, thine they were. He's saying the people that you've given me, they were first yours. How were they first yours? No, I came to salvation through faith in Christ. <laughs> you belong to God first. Well, how did you end up at Christ? And the verse says it, and thou gavest them me. <laughs> You were chosen by God before the foundations of the world to be in him. And when they were chosen before the foundations of the world, they stood in desperate need, yet they still belonged to God, yet they were not yet reconciled to God. So when God had these chosen before the foundations of the world, he then chose to reconcile them. And when he reconciled them, what did he do? He took these chosen people and gave them Christ. Christ went to the ones he chose. You can't argue this. How can we say such a thing that we chose Christ when we was not, so to say, choosing Christ? God gave Christ to the chosen. John chapter 17 and verse 9. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them, which thou hast given me, for they are thine. But for them, which thou hast given me. John chapter 17 and verse 11. Don't even leave the 17th chapter. It'll change your life. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father, Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Don't forget that last sentence. Because we're going to be thinking about that tonight when we start to think about what it means to be holy without blame before him in love. John chapter 17 and verse 11 says that they may be one as we are holy and blameless before him in love. Does it mean one day that when we get to heaven, we're going to be holy and blameless? It is that there is a relationship that exists in this very moment today that we should be holy and blameless before God in this moment. It means without blemish. What is this nonsense that we are saved and then we don't have to live holy because we have this freedom in Christ? Gag me. We are to be holy and blameless before God. I'm not going to jump forward here. In closing, I want to look at this. We're going to come back to this this evening. John chapter 17 verse 12 While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, perdition, that scripture might be fulfilled. In closing here, the thing that you can take away about this word chosen when we were kids, we used to love to play kickball. Whenever you would play kickball, there were always two team captains. They were the opposition. And when we picked someone, when we chose someone, it was that they would participate on our team. This word chosen is something that you could take away. A, it's aeroist, it's past tense, Okay. Meaning the choosing is already done. It's related to what we read last week. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. All the blessings that God has had for us is basically poured out of the vault of heaven that was already decided before the foundations of the world. We have already been blessed with those blessings, though the reality is that they may not be here with us in this moment yet. Yet, it says here, according to as he hath chosen. See, this is a reflexive verb. It means that you choose. And when you choose, it means that they're in the reflexive sense that they belong back to the person who's doing the choosing. God chose us. The reflexive is, is that he chose that we would belong to him. Notice that it doesn't say he chose an allotted group and some came. It doesn't say that he chose some and others debated with him and turned away, missed their opportunity. All that were chosen will come to Christ. Matter of fact, it's of my own personal belief that if you have the ability to resist God in this moment of function, and then we are all in great trouble with our salvation. If we say that the blood of Jesus Christ is so powerful, let me rephrase that, since the blood of Jesus Christ is so powerful, and it can wash away all our sins, it can change the leper spots, it can cause a man on a mighty rampage, according to the book of Acts, and change him and change his life, and then God will mightily use him to preach the gospel. And Corinthians, Paul says, And such were some of you. God, God has worked in our lives. If the blood of Jesus Christ was able to be resisted by us, well, then there's not much power in the blood of Jesus Christ. But. Paul says in Corinthians, who are we that we could argue with the creator? We are no one. God has chose us. This function of choosing is of certainty. It is irresistible. Though through the reality of time that God will work in our lives, not all of us were saved as infants. (laughs) You know, it's impossible. Uh, But not all of us were saved at the same time. It was according to the time in which God hath chosen us in time to be saved we are truly chosen by God this is a great comfort to me this is great and even further we'll even come back to this tonight I don't want to let it go but I'm going to but tonight when we come back we'll argue the point do you even have the ability to choose God from a biblical standpoint? I think the answer is no. This is not just one offer. Some people say, well, that's just the Pauline writings. No, it's more than the Pauline writings about where we stand in Christ. Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly father, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to be in your word, Lord, as we continue to dive in this study here uh, in the book of Ephesians about this great salvation that we have. I give thanks to you, Lord, for all that you've done. Be with us, strengthen us during this time of study that we may grow in you. In Jesus' name, amen.